0: human podcast. This is episode 130 and I sat down with Diane Maroney. She is the founder of the Imagine Project and she's also an author and a Nick U nurse. Diane is an extraordinary human. Uh, She reaches out and helps young kids and teens imagine a better experience, uh, imagine a different way of thinking, imagining a better life, um, imagining what might be. Uh, It's a really cool project. I very much enjoyed talking to Diane. She's fascinating. Her background is fascinating and she's just a warm, loving human being. Um, She exemplifies, I think, uh, (laughs) the kind of people that we need more of in the world. Uh, She's definitely making a difference starting with a very important group of people, our kids, you know, those that will shape our future. As a kid, I would have, I think, really benefited from the Imagine Project. But all things come in their time. So, you know, it is out there now. And that's a wonderful thing. And it's global, which is also a wonderful thing. One thing that I want to mention is that even though the focus I think of the Imagine Project is on kids and teens, it also certainly, uh, adults can, can utilize the, these skills and, and be a part of this project. Uh, the, it really doesn't have an age boundary at all. And for teachers to understand this project who are influencing our kids, for parents I think it's really great. And honestly, if you don't, I don't have children, and so much of what Diane and I talked about, I think could be used to be a better person for myself. You know, to imagine myself in the world, and I just love that. So please, as you're listening uh, to this preamble and me talking about all this stuff, you hear me talking about oh, kids and teens, but that's really—it's not all that. Diane is is doing. Her influence, um, or I should say the influence of the project, is really a, a grander scope that goes far beyond kids. I think I'm being redundant now, but I, I do believe that that is an important thing to reiterate. Diane has written a few books in conjunction with the Imagine Project. She also wrote a children's book called Brian, the Caterpillar Who Loved to Imagine, and that's for the younger kids. So a very creative woman, very smart woman. By the way, the links for those books are, and for theimagineproject.org, can all be found on heyhumanpodcast.com. As always, I have links from this episode with Diane, along with all the other episodes up there. Uh, hey Human Podcast is on social media everywhere. And uh, also my own personal Social media, Susan Ruthism, is on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, and if you feel like it, you could also go check out SusanRuth.com, so I have that website as well. Support for Hey Human can be found through the Amazon portal on the HeyHumanPodcast.com website. You just go to the website, you click on the portal, and you shop at Amazon the way you normally would, and it helps support Hey Human, which is really awesome. There's also a support button on that on the main page of the website, not the Amazon website, but the Hey Human podcast website. I know that probably gets confusing, even though I try to say it every episode. Uh, if you get the chance, please rate and review Hey Human on iTunes. I very much appreciate that as well. Thank you to everyone who has been doing that. And I think that covers it. Oh, you can email me Susan at HeyHumanPodcast.com. With comments, questions, suggestions. I had a really great suggestion from someone, uh, Michael, in Los Angeles, and he suggested uh, that on the on the what do you call it the descriptors of the episodes when they come up on the phone, uh, they can it takes a minute to understand what the episode might be about. So I went through and changed every single descriptor so that the very first few words describe. Whatever is going to be in the episode, so hopefully that makes things easier for those of you that are just kind of quickie looking for something to listen to, and you don't. Maybe you're driving. Try not to <laughs> read while you drive, but you know you just want to kind of glance down and go, "Oh, that one looks good." Hopefully that will help. Okay, um, that's all the businessy stuff. Thank you for listening. Thank you for getting the word out, and uh, I appreciate you. And let's do this. Here we go. Diane. Welcome to Hey Human. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Yay! Yay! It's <laughs> fun. So you uh, were introduced to me through Frank, your son, who I adore. <laughs> I think he's a wonderful human being. Thank you. And uh, me too. He, he, <laughs> he, <laughs> said, uh, he said, you got to talk to my mom. She's so interesting and she's done all this stuff. And I was like, well, tell me about it. It was actually when we were painting in here.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, so he started telling me a little bit about you and your mission, as it were, and uh, I was really intrigued. So I thought, well,
1: sure, if she'll do it, have
0: her come over.
1: <laughs> and here you are.
0: Yeah, and here, and here I am
1: from Colorado. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so. so it's great to be here, and I love Nashville so much. You There's, do. I have two kids that live here, so it makes it even better to be able to come here so often. So. Yeah,
0: although it's, Frank always talks about moving back to Colorado. Yeah, so. Colorado's pretty awesome state too yeah. yeah I've driven through it um when I used to be a touring artist I remember because I lived on the west coast I remember going driving through Colorado and uh being feeling like I was in a snow globe mm-hmm. in my van watching oh. the <laughs> snow come down and having that weird yeah snow globe thing you get it
1: just right driving doesn't at night happen that often yeah 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 it's a beautiful state has some wonderful weather and yeah yeah it's good stuff hey
0: any place that Morgan and Mindy would
1: live yeah, there you go. I older. Yeah. yeah, of course. <laughs> it's a unique place too.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. So let's go backwards a little bit. Um, you are a mom. Mm-hmm. Uh, you also are an author. Mm-hmm.
1: Let's talk a little bit about that. Well, I'm actually a, a nurse by trade mm-hmm. and with a master's in mental health. And um, I used to work with premature infants in the NICU. Mm. And then my daughter, who's 25 now, was born at one pound, 12 ounces. Which is crazy. So, yeah, it's crazy. She How was, early is that? It's you... about four months early, 26 weeks. What is the survival so, rate of somebody? Uh, it's low. I mean, it's I don't know exactly anymore, but I think it was about 50% risk at mm. the time mm-hmm. with a, lot, a high percentage of disabilities. So it was pretty traumatizing for her and for me and for us as a family. And so um, I saw the trauma in prematurity, and nobody talked about it at that time. It was like, take them home and treat them like a regular baby. I told that to many moms. And then I realized, wow, this is really a lot harder than I, th- I thought. So there was a lot of trauma there. So I went back to school, got my master's, and started learning about how to help kids uh, with trauma. And I ended up, I started speaking to nurses and doctors and um, parents about, you know, the trauma of prematurity, writing articles, and um, I knew that if I stood in front of a crowd and told them my story, they would just think it was my story, just because I was a NICU nurse. So I asked a whole, this is the beginning of the internet, I asked a whole bunch of parents to tell me their story using the word imagine, so that I could read them as I spoke. And it turns out it was, we were all sobbing and reading each other's stories and feel, felt a lot of healing from it. So I did that for a long time and then in 2010 I decided uh, one day when I just kind of became so aware of the world was feeling you know sunken and there was a lot of struggles and so I thought well how can I inspire the world as best I can so I started traveling across the United States um, meeting and interviewing ordinary people with extraordinary stories and I asked them to tell me their story using the word imagine so we, I did that, and I created a book called The Imagine Project, Stories of Courage, Hope, and Love, which I have a copy of for you today. But oh, I'm so excited. That Frank will give you. Okay. But anyway, um, so I, it's a photography coffee table book. It's really a beautiful book. And then, so all these people wrote their stories using the word imagine. And when the book came out, people were like, wow, that was such a healing experience. The people in the book felt like it was a healing experience. People who read it felt like it was a healing experience. So then I thought, okay, well, this is really powerful. What What's the next step? What can I do with this? And I asked a friend uh, who was an eighth grade science teacher, asked, who's a teacher out in a suburb of Denver. I said, can you see if your eighth grade students can write their story using the word imagine? And he did. And in a classroom of 28 kids, just an average suburb school, um, there was stories of, you know, bullying or loss or feeling left out or, you know, pretty deep, some deep stories, some typical what you might think were typical stories. But what was really concerning as a store out of a classroom of twenty eight kids, three kids talked about suicide. And I was like, Oh dear, we have an issue here, you know, and at at that point in time the and still is, the suicide rate for teens and kids is has was going up and is still going up. So I thought, okay, what can we do with this? So I continued on. I went into any school that I could and um, talked about the project, had them write their story, any place that would have me, and I started even to go to other states. And then ended up developing a process that's a seven-step process that helps kids to write their story using the word imagine. So every sentence begins with the word imagine, which is really, really powerful. And then... um, Is that to promote empathy i imagine what is yeah it's really unique and i don't think i've figured it out a hundred percent yet what that word does but i what i think it does is it helps the person who's writing step back from their story and have empathy for themselves Mm. and then who's ever reading it has empathy for them as well Mm -hmm. so it asks you to it's a call to action yeah it's a call to hear what i'm saying hear my voice hear what's the stories in my head Hear how I'm feeling, and this has been really hard. And then when the person writes it, and particularly if they read it out loud in a group or a classroom, then it's there's like this transformation. It's like, wow, uh, you know, I don't know, there's something really big about it. And they're able to be just a little bit more subjective. It's like a little bit safer than if you just tell your story. If someone stands up and tells their story using the word imagine, it's not as triggering. If you stand up and just tell your story, everybody gets sucked into the story, particularly the person telling them, and they can go down a rabbit hole of a lot of emotion that's really hard to pull out of. It's but, interesting that yeah. it creates a, a separation of sorts. What, why do you think that might be? Well, one of my theories is that it, it um, not only, you know, when you read and write, you're using the left side of your brain, the more intellectual side of your brain, but when you're using the word imagine, it pulls in the creative side of your brain. So it has both sides of your brain working at the same time. And, you know, being an artist, that there's a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of healing in artistic work. Hmm. So it pulls in both of those sides. It's not just your intellect, but also your artistic side. So I think that that's one of the things that happens. Yeah. So going backwards a
0: little bit, you you are already a Nick, you nurse. Before you had
1: a premature baby, mm-hmm. that's extraordinary in its own way. Isn't yeah, it? yeah, it was pretty tough. I mean, I think in some ways it was, um, you know, easier for me. In some ways, it was harder because I understood everything that was going on. But what happened was, is I became hooked on what I knew was could happen. You know, mm. like the fears of what was possible. I knew more than the average parents of the parent of what was the negative part of what was possible, and so I became kind of. Uh, Obsessed with that, and you know, turned into a nurse instead of a mom because that's what how I knew to function better than being a mom.
0: And I've met your daughter, Mm and she is a fully, uh, I realized human being in every sense of the word. And in fact, also a creative as your son is. And you have Mm -hmm. another child as well. Yes. Um. Mm -hmm. So you said the trauma of the of I mean I I imagine and watching some of the videos that you did I'm trying to picture a pound
1: it's about the size of a pepsi can is cr- yeah that is it's tiny. nutty you know my um her my husband's ring would fit over her leg wedding ring so that's how tiny her legs were and it's it's hard to imagine it's hard for me to even imagine now but um yeah it's pretty tiny and the fear that comes along with that um that it's like more like terror you know that oh my god is this gonna is she gonna be okay you know are we gonna be okay what's the future hold there's a lot of trauma in that do you just do you have to keep a child in an incubator for a really long time yeah yeah it's a it's sometimes it's an open bed and then eventually they get into an incubator you know if they're really sick then they're in a bed where everybody can reach them right away Uh, and they get into a incubator as they begin to grow do you think that um the body retains the memory of that absolutely yeah i I do too yeah and so that's part of what i teach when i teach teachers or counselors or someone is how because i believe that every uh, experience positive and negative has an energetic imprint in who we are Mm -hmm. so when we're trying to heal we don't just address the intellectual part. We don't just address the emotional part. We also should address the, the um, energetic imprint. Because if you can let go of the energetic imprint, there's faster and deeper healing. Mm-hmm. So, and you do that through techniques like emotional freedom technique, also called EFT or tapping. Which I've done. Yeah, it's, it's a great tool. Awesome. Amazing tool. Mm-hmm. So I try to teach teachers and counselors how to use that. And is part of the imagine process.
0: Now your focus is primarily on the kids, Mm -hmm. and even educating the teachers on how to deal with the kids. Um, But you also have adults in part of the project, correct? Because some of the videos. Well, that was the
1: original. The original was more of the adults, Mm -hmm. and then I tried to. Now I'm just uh, focusing on kids and teens. um, You know, teaching teachers how to do it with kids and teens because. That's the way that I can reach the most kids is through classrooms. Does your educating
0: begin with the teacher, however, so that they understand
1: mm-hmm. the ramification, how it feels, and yeah. what's going to come up, and then? Right. Well, you know, in a typical classroom, there's still trauma. I mean, you know, this research shows that fifty percent of white, educated middle class. Uh, people in America go through at least one traumatic experience before the age of 17. So the trauma is there, and then you add in poverty, crime, or, you know, some really intense scenarios, at-risk scenarios, and you're up to about 100%. People of color, of course,
0: those kids. Mm -hmm. Those kids,
1: yeah. And, you know, um, so in a typical classroom, there may or may not be some really big stories But they can still be, it can be a smaller story, but still be really impactful Mm -hmm. in the child. So it's really important for the ITIL teachers, the most important thing is that they just see the child without their story. That they hear their story, they hear it, and that with their eyes they show compassion. But their heart, they can't get pulled into the emotional part of it. And, and, you know, they can cry with them a little bit, but they got to pull themselves out of it because it doesn't do the child any good if they just see them with their story. It's important for them to see them without their story and how amazing they are and the strength that they have and the resilience that they have. Underneath that story is a whole wonderful human being and it's the teacher or the counselor's job to show that child that that person is there. How do you do that it's tricky (laughs) um you do it by just um I mean I have tricks that I do when I yesterday I was speaking to some counselors in Colorado big conference and one of the teachers I had them write their story which is really powerful it's a way for them to understand the process and one of the teachers stood up and wrote read a story about losing her child and it wasn't a baby it was a child i don't know what happened but there was other the family was there and they were she told the story of that and man was it hard for me not to cry because it was a big story and um but i could you know so i felt my emotion and then i used a technique called ho'oponopono or the zero point it's a technique that's a um that's a hawaiian statement or prayer whichever way you want to look at it And you say, I love you, I'm sorry, please forgive me, thank you. I love you, I'm sorry, please forgive me, thank you. As many times as you need to. I can see the shivers. Yeah, it's a really powerful neutralizing energy. So if I start to feel emotion when someone's reading their story, I go to that. And I just keep saying it in my head. And it helps me to be grounded. And it helps me to, to not take on that person's energy. Because, you know, it's beautiful for me to be compassionate. And that's what I'm supposed to be. But it doesn't help that person if I fall into this, you know, this heavy, sad place where I feel so much compassion for them. I can't be strong for them anymore. Mm. Does that make sense?
0: Yes, it, it reminds me of the, I can't remember the first place I heard this parable, but about the man in the pit. Mm. And the, there's a man in the pit and he's he's yelling, you know, help me get out of the pit. And all these different people crawl down into the pit and then they're in the pit. Right. And finally, um, somebody comes along mm-hmm. and... uh throws them a rope, and they crawl out, and they said, how did you know to throw a rope? And the person responds, because I was once in the pit, and someone threw me a rope. That's so
1: perfect. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly what we're talking about. And, you know, it's, it's hard because, it, you know, if we have a similar story or anything that triggers us that somebody talks about, and, you know, we can feel that same emotion within ourselves... Mm-hmm. From our past experiences, it's very hard not to go there. But that's a trick that I use in mindfulness meditation, clearing our own stuff. It's important to clear our own well, stuff. Well, I was just going to say it's an almost
0: dancing on a tightrope of ego. If yeah. you telling me your story, and I am, and I get sucked into it, and I start feeling it, that my pain and suffering is almost becomes the thing instead of supporting Absolutely. your pain
1: and suffering, and then it's no longer. Yeah, it's no longer support. Mm -mm. It becomes about me or about the person that's holding the space instead of that person. And that doesn't... You know, I had a really dear friend that you would absolutely love um, say to me once, when you go to someone's funeral and you hug them, you don't want to dump your sorrow on them. You want to hug them with love and hope and Mm. it's going to be okay. You know, Mm -hmm. kind of a hug. Not oh my God, I feel so sad for you because you're just dumping your own energy on them. So that's not that's not what this is about. This is about showing kids that they don't have to be their story. Mm. And if you dump your own story onto them while you're listening to theirs, then they don't know what to do with it. They just feel worse. So you have to practice. And I, some people are natural at it, that, you know, at not at just being supportive and loving. But there are, you know, people with more background of trauma are going to have a harder time with it
0: if they haven't done the work if they haven't done the work yeah Yeah.
1: sure yeah
0: uh what happens in these scenarios when a child who's already vulnerable vulnerable Mm -hmm. obviously uh when they say something that is
1: that something's happening to them on a criminal level Mm -hmm. then what do you do the the who's ever listening has a responsibility to report it And that's a fear of, I mean, I get asked that all the time from teachers and counselors. Well, what if they say something that we have to report? I said, well, you know, would you rather just leave it pushed under the rug? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: What if you're going to save them from something? You know, so it's their choice. And in it, when I do with kids, particularly high schoolers, I tell them, nobody's going to read this story unless you want them to. So they can write whatever they want. With whatever kind of words they want to use, that they may not use, like cuss words or whatever, they may not use if they knew somebody was reading it. And if you tell them that you're gonna, you're not gonna read their story, then don't read their story, because you might find out something that you really don't want to know. And I've had it that happen in a classroom before, an alternative school. The teacher freaked out and read all the stories and ended up having a call a bunch of parents (laughs) so um so yeah honor that i mean it's their story and they they can process it the way they want to but you're just giving them the opportunity to process it there may be things but it doesn't happen as usually you you pretty much know what's going on in a home yeah well yeah i mean maybe these days (laughs) yeah i mean enough that and and Hmm. you may find out things you know I was in a, I was, I'll tell a story that um, I can't use any names, but uh, I was in a a school that works with really high-risk kids uh, about a month ago, and there was a a group of about five kids in the room. There was a boy who was, was just dear as, he was about a sophomore, I think, freshman or sophomore, just a dear soul. You just wanted to hug him. You just liked him immediately. And um, he, everyone, he wrote his story like crazy. Typically, he doesn't write. So when I asked him to start writing his imagined story, he was just writing like crazy. And everybody, the, the there was counselors there because these kids are at risk. So they had a lot. They had a few extra counselors there. And he was writing, writing, writing. And all the other kids read their stories out loud. So he said, "Well, I feel, I guess I should read mine. I feel pressure to do that." His story was about imagine waking up, and want, thinking about killing someone every day imagine your family telling you you should be a serial killer. And we were all kind of, whoa, that was a pretty big story. And then he said, I'm, I am regret reading that out loud because he heard how big his his the story was in his head. He'd never heard, said it out loud like that. So he didn't realize, wow, this is a big thing that I'm thinking about. And the, the counselors knew some of the story, but they found out more about his family through that story. So they were able to really directly do some therapy with him around some of the stuff that came up. So It's powerful. It's powerful, and, and he was able to move forward. Mm-hmm. So, you know, could have even saved a life or two.
0: Yeah, I mean, as banal a statement this is, it seems to be true that when we are able to actually face our shadow... Mm -hmm. acknowledge our shadow Mm -hmm. it it dissipates it yeah it lets it go away to some degree we all have a shadow all of us some Mm -hmm. of
1: course a little more volatile than others but well i can tell you the same kid i should know the positive side of it is that um so that's the third step is to write your story seven steps third step is to write your story using the word imagine the fourth step is, okay, what do you want instead? What story do you want instead? Mm-hmm. Write an imagined story and turn that around. And so he, he said, I don't know what I want. I don't, I'm stuck in my life. I don't, I don't know. I, you know, It's just a mess trying to figure out what to do instead. And I said, well, is there, are there any sports that you really like? And he said, no. I said, well, are there any people in your life you really respect? He said, only one that I hate, too. And I said, well, would you like to help someone who's like you someday? And his, he lit up. He said, yes, I would. And I said, well, how, how do you think you might do that? I don't know how to do that. How do I do that? How do I do that? I said, well, you can become a teacher or a counselor. And so he was like, okay, okay. And he started writing. Imagine being a teacher. Imagine being a counselor. And he started to cry. And he said, I'm crying, I'm crying. I haven't cried in 14 years. I'm not supposed to cry. Mm. and it was just a moment of him seeing possibility and he did become kind of confused after i mean he really needed some therapy after that because of his scenario was pretty big but they were able to do it because they saw it and they and they helped him work through a very vulnerable point in his world i had a girl similar to him in a downtown denver in a um, gang she was stuck in a gang she was in middle school, I think, eighth grade, and she's writing, you know, all about how she was stuck in a gang. They were going to kill somebody in her family if she wasn't in the gang. And I said, when we got to the imagine possibility, she's like, I don't know, I'm stuck. I can't do anything else. I have to be in this gang or they're going to hurt somebody. And I said, well, why don't you write down, imagine not being in a gang. Okay. So she wrote down that. And I said, imagine no one getting hurt. She said, Okay. And then she wrote on one of her own, she said, imagine being myself. And so she moved forward, and she saw that she didn't have to be that. But when we're stuck in a big time trauma, a big time scenario, as a child in particular, and we don't know how to get out, we have to find a way to see the possibility, and that's what the Imagine Project does more than anything. So what are some of the other steps? The fourth step is writing the Imagine Possibilities. The fifth step is transforming the um, the imagined possibilities into I statements. You finish the sentence, I am, I can, I will, for each possibility. So I am smart enough to get good grades. I can get good grades. I will graduate from high school. And then the sixth step is what do you have to do to make your dreams happen? Three things, because they need to know that it's their job, nobody else's. And then the seventh step is... Um, 30 day challenge to write down three things you're grateful for every day, three things you want to imagine in your life and do one act of kindness every day to try to change the way they think and see the world because mm-hmm. we know that gratitude and goals changes brain function. So mm-hmm. and the first two steps are what do you love about your life and then what's been challenging for you in your life? Reflect on what's been hard and then you take one of the reflect and you write the imagined story about it. So do you
0: have you encountered kids that are just so opposed to being a part
1: of it. How do you break through oh, yeah. with them? Um what I've seen, cause oftentimes, particularly in an alternative school, there's the high school particularly, you know, alternative high schools are kids that can't go to a regular school. Mm-hmm. And so there's all, there are almost always one in the classroom that sits there with their arms crossed saying, I'm not doing this. This is effing stupid. And um and then they're just angry you know, and so I just let them be, I don't force them or anything, but then when they hear the part where some of the kids read their stories out loud, they start to see, oh, I'm not the only one with this story, and you can see them shift a little bit, and they may still be acting like they're mad, but I can see, I can see that it's making an impact, and, um, oh, there's one girl, she was so mad one time, and she was like, throwing stuff, you know, just tossing stuff on her table and stuff, acting like she was really mad. And she had to leave. And I give the kids, uh, when I go to an alternative school, one of the big books that has the original stories in it. And um, she had to leave to go do something. She came back and got her book. So I know. And she deserved it. She'd been to, like, 12 foster homes. She'd been through a lot. So she deserved to be angry. But And there was no reason why she should trust me. You know, I mean, she didn't know me so she but but if she sat and read that book she might know that she could be okay so she's not alone yeah she's not alone
0: yeah i mean pain certainly is a universal feeling as is fear it definitely is and fear counts on itself to not let Mm -hmm. you get rid of the pain you
1: Mm -hmm. know because
0: then it gets to turn to hate and that's also powerful
1: yeah and she was definitely full of hate yeah and which um, translates to being full of fear right mm-hmm. yeah there was another little fifth grade boy in a just sort of average middle school or elementary school in the suburb and he in a room full of all the fifth graders in the school he stood up and read they were all reading their story and he stood up and read a story about being Louis and his dad when he was young and he'd moved six times in the last two years he just moved to this school and He didn't fit in because he was quiet, and he just, you know, was tired of trying to fit in. And none of the kids knew his story. They didn't know that about him. And when they found out, they rallied, and they became friends with him. They said, come play with me. And it didn't just last for a week. It lasted for the rest of the year. And so imagine how that changed the trajectory of his life. Yeah. And, you know, when I first started doing this, I was really afraid that there would be bullying a lot in the classroom. You know, if somebody heard a story, then they'd make funny or bully them about it. And that has been the exact opposite. Kids are so compassionate. And they, when they hear that they're not alone, they there's this deep-seated need to help somebody. And I think it's a human need. And when they see that somebody else is got a story that's like theirs or what they perceive as being harder than theirs, and mm-hmm. they really want to go help that person. It's the tribe of pain. It is right? the tribe of pain. Tribalism
0: is. is so powerful yes. on so many levels, and it, it encompasses a huge mm-hmm. range of emotions. And, I mean, we're seeing it especially right now. The tribalism of pain
1: is politics. True. Yes. Right? Very much so. That's, and we're people are just together, And part of that is fear, you know, that you... Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a big part of it is fear and trying to find somebody who thinks and feels and can help you or feels the same as you. Mm-hmm. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. I remember when I was a kid, uh, about
0: seventh grade, so my, my family, I grew up uh, <clears throat> on this long street and across the street from all the, the houses was a huge amount of woods. Mm. And so the kids in the neighborhoods from both sides because it was so big it took up sort of many blocks Mm -hmm. and the kids would congregate in the woods and run around and climb trees and go on adventures and all that Mm -hmm. stuff but I remember that there was a a misfit group of mine of girls uh and like one came from an affluent family one came from a single mom family one had a mom and a stepdad the stepdad was terrible Um, I had there was me with my parents still together but you know, mental illness on my, with my mother, you know, mm-hmm. just like all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And we would sit together until the sun would go down, <clears throat> the tall grass getting eaten by mosquitoes and things, mm-hmm. and talk about our stuff, just things going on. And uh, it, it was, I think, a very, it was a very good feeling to know
1: you weren't alone. And Absolutely. Even yeah. though all
0: of our stories, the stuff that I heard was just...
1: Yes, I'm sure it was mind-blowing. Mind-blowing, especially as a kid, because you don't have anywhere
0: to put it. Right, You don't know how to stop it. All you can do (coughs) is be there Mm -hmm.
1: for each other. Yeah. And I think um, it's the kids that don't have, you know, don't have that tribe, that uh, group of friends, that are the ones that end up in a place where they either want to hurt somebody or they hurt themselves. And gangs
0: and, Mm -hmm. and... you know, hate groups and all these things—they pray mm-hmm. particularly, and mm-hmm. in some cases, religion. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know? So, Absolutely and, I agree. and I know that I would get arguments for that. Like, how do you equate religion to a gang? Or, a, but
1: it—it's it's they're they're looking for that same mm-hmm. vibe. They are. Yeah, some people. Some people are definitely who mm-hmm. are like that. Um, I was just gonna say something and I forgot. There was, uh, many kids tell me that, uh, you know, that one of the things that they feel like the Imagine Project helps them with is not feeling alone. And because they do, they hear their story and it's really adorable. And oftentimes in a classroom, somebody reads a story and some other child will get up and give them a big hug, you Mm. know, just because they know they need it. And hopefully there's someone healthy enough or, you know, just with that perception that it's needed to do that. And then the child feels heard and you know the work that you do we all just want to feel heard yeah and that's what the imagine project does so it's it's pretty cool
0: it's really cool Thank yeah you. it's really really cool it, and it's weird you know I believe person my personal belief I believe in something bigger than myself mm-hmm. I do believe we're all connected uh, I believe in you know the many lives many masters mm-hmm. type of philosophy and I think about, you know, the moment when you found out <clears throat> that your daughter was going to be, you know, born prematurely. Mm-hmm. And then that that series of events and then mm-hmm. what that has now become.
1: Absolutely. It's extraordinary. Well, it's actually started before my daughter. So oh. I don't know if you know, Frank told you anything about my story, but I have a really big childhood story. Oh, no, I don't so know. So I, I came from a family that was, um, shouldn't be together, you know, shouldn't have been together. Mm-hmm. My dad was an abusive Alcoholic to my mom, not to me. Um, my I tell the story as I was left home alone when I was really young. I had pretty crappy boyfriends that, you know, emotionally forced me into sex. And um, I was part of a gang when I was... I, know, <laughs> I don't look like it at all, but I was. What kind of gang? Uh, it was a it was a silly gang. I mean, not silly, in the, but it was the era of desegregation. So we uh, we fought each other not knowing you know, who the other one was. And then this was in middle school because it was at a time where the desegregation, you know, kids were bused from one part of town to the other. We didn't know each other. We were of different color. We thought the other one was bad. So we fought each other. And then at the end of um, ninth grade, which was the end of middle school at that time, uh, we we met each other. We accidentally ran into each other downtown at a Woolworths store. I don't even know if they still have Woolworths, but and we were gang in the rival gang. yeah Uh uh-huh and we were like and i was like i think we should i want to go talk to them i want to know who they are so i went over and sat down and we started talking and we became friends and then we we never saw each other again after that because we all went to different high schools but it was a pretty ugly time you know lots of we fought with our fists and you know pulled hair and and you know there was a lot of big School issues that went on, and we didn't name ourselves, but they named us the Blondies, which is really silly. It sounds like such a stupid gang, but it really was the gangs of that era. And very West Side Story. <laughs> yeah, it's so silly. But um, but then I sadly I found my mom from suicide. She committed suicide when I was 15. Oh my! So that was a really big impact, and that was major trauma. So so I had a childhood filled with a lot of um, turmoil and then trauma so I think it's in my heart to want to help kids because if I would have had somebody who would have allowed me to share my story make sure that's turned off um I would have not had to go through years of you know 40 years of uh trying to heal myself so well with every child you help you're healing yourself absolutely this thing has been hugely healing for me and I think it
0: alters one's DNA. Yes. And I also, I know this is going to sound nuts, but I do believe that when we help others, not only do we alter our DNA, but we're also altering ancestral DNA. Absolutely. I think it goes mm-hmm. backwards. And the
1: energy of the world. Yes. I think we're altering the energy of the world yes. by helping. And um, there's a, a, an energy of power bigger than me that's uh, behind the Imagine Project and it's a beautiful power and i can feel it i see it every time i've wanted to quit which has been many many times um i've been i'm it's like i'm shown something beautiful that comes from it so that pushes me to keep going and i i no longer want to quit i mean i've it's now in it you know that was when i was trying to create it but i'm in it and i see the beauty of it all the time and uh so it's pretty cool, but there is something bigger than me behind it. And I do see it. I got an email from a teach, fifth-grade teacher from a school in Belleville, Illinois. I have no idea where that is, but I think it's a town of about, I looked it up, it's about 50,000 people. And she loved it so much that she shared it with a bunch of teachers, and then she presented it to their school board. So they're all doing, the whole district is doing it. And there's so much love with it. I mean, it's really about love. So it's really in having a very loving impact in the world, and I'm really proud of that.
0: Amen to that. Yeah,
1: I'm really proud of that. I believe in the church of love. Mm. That's perfect, yes, absolutely.
0: Yeah. So how do people listening, um, that I know there's teachers listening for sure, mm-hmm. but there may be um, youth groups or you know mm-hmm.
1: church groups, all those yeah. kinds of things. How do they get involved with this? It's free. That's the other thing. It's, free is um, good. <laughs> free is good. So there's a website, uh, The... It's Imagine- the coin of the realm. Yes. <laughs> that's true. Um, theimagineproject.org. Uh, the... Make sure you put the in front of it because there's another Imagine Project that doesn't oh, have the. Oh, okay. The so, Imagine Project. Yeah, .org. And you download the journals. They're free to download. Um, they're also available in Spanish. So, and then you just have your kids do it, and you really don't have to use the seven steps. You can just sit down and start writing your story using the, magic, the word "imagine," but keep going until it flips to the positive.
0: And I would encourage adults mm-hmm. as well. There's an
1: adult journal. Good. So yes, that's wonderful. Yes, because Lord knows the pain is real it's for it. Real, and um, we all have it, and it's really amazing. And want, and I I want it to be a tool that everybody can use for their whole life. You know, mm-hmm. it's a there's so much research on journal on uh, expressive writing or free writing. Um, you know, it's it's uh, there's it says that it makes you healthier. You, it boosts your immune immune system. It helps with uh, PTSD symptoms. It lowers blood pressure. And then for kids, it shows that it. Increases grade point averages, decreases dropout rates, helps with writing, and makes kids want to write more because they, they uh, find their voice. Mm. So there's so many good things that happen, and it's not about grammar, it's not about punctuation. And in a classroom, it, it, it shouldn't be about that first, and then if the teacher really wants to, they can develop it into a, a stronger writing thing after they do their first voice part of it. But um, so it can be part of any literacy curriculum in a school classroom and it goes along with core standards if that's what the school follows. Um, so, yeah, it's it's just easy. And then I've written a few books. So I have my latest book is The Imagine Project, uh, Empowering Kids to Rise Above Drama, Trauma and Stress. And all of them, my books are available on uh, Amazon. Mm-hmm. And also, I'll put links on here, yeah. And on my website, but it's probably easier through Amazon. And then, um, and it's, you know, that's it. It's that simple. And there's a chill, I wrote a children's book called Byron the Caterpillar who loves to imagine for the little bitty ones that really can't, um, you know, write their stories yet. Mm -hmm. So it's not until about first, maybe second grade that kids can grab a whole concept of writing a sentence beginning with the word imagine. Mm -hmm. So the children's book is to go to help the kids younger than that. So. And the book is is also available in Spanish now. So
0: it's really interesting to me to hear about your childhood um, because I only met your daughter once, so I don't have a good barometer there other than she was lovely. Yeah. But and shy. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but Frank, who I feel like I know pretty well, mm-hmm. having had many a conversation with him, and he is such a loving and giving human being. Thank you. And so to know that from one generation to the next, which isn't mm-hmm. very far, that 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 has transpired speaks volumes
1: about you and I'm sure your husband who I have not met but you know I can tell you we've done a lot of healing in our family and I'm very active in saying you know here's some here's some healing tools go see somebody if you need to we do something called classical homeopathy which is really powerful in healing so my book uh, the new book has all the description of alternative therapies in the back that we've used and um and a lot of it is based in energy healing um and there's also a a chapter on if you want more traditional this is what you can do if you want less traditional this is what you can do because i have a lot I'm, i'm a nurse but i think alternative and because i don't like medication you know none of us are on medicine medications or anything um we all do everything eat healthy vitamins and do energetic healing a lot Mm -hmm. so i think that that's key honestly because there was a lot of healing that had to be done there was trauma there from mackenzie for all of us and for her for the whole family it set us off on a she was really sick for about five years
0: well it's got to be scary she's the littlest Mm -hmm. the youngest she's the youngest yeah so for the older siblings Especially yeah. boys and the understanding of men are supposed mm-hmm. to be caretakers. That's all also in our DNA, right? This sort of weird, Absolutely. you know, the, uh, I don't want to say hierarchy, but that feeling of what's supposed to be, or you know. Yeah. And so for them to look at her, probably that sense of helplessness.
1: Well, also, you know, Sweet Michael is the middle child, mm-hmm. and he's just as sweet as Frank. And um, he was three, You know, so he got lost in the shuffle. Sure. And because everything was focused on McKenzie And so both of them kind of lost the ability to be front and center, both Frank and Michael. And so that was really hard. You know, that was a point in time where they really needed more attention. But instead, McKenzie got it all. So those are impacts there. But I know that. And so we've really worked hard at shifting that. And I will say to parents out there, you know, if your kid your child is struggling, do the work on yourself because if your child if you heal yourself, that's at least fifty percent of the battle for your child, if not more. Yes, because we're constantly mirroring each other. Yeah.
0: Mhm. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and if and if you look at it from an energetic standpoint, you know, um, then if you change the, the, the energy of the dynamic between you and your child, if you change your part of that energy, they're forced to change. Mm. Because, too, because it doesn't match their energy anymore. Mm. So they have to shift, and they'll, so they'll get the cue from you, oh, well, you know, they might fight it a little bit, but eventually they'll be given the opportunity to grow. So on my, in my book, I'll just say, you know, that there's so many ways that you can use for healing for yourself and for your kids That's non-traditional because research shows that talk therapy doesn't do a whole lot other than helps you understand it better, and you need more to really heal. Yeah,
0: I'm a big fan of the energetic healing uh, modalities. I think, I think they're. (laughs) <laughs> miracles in their own right. Yes, and it's funny that my dad, who's a scientist, we have these conversations, and he, you know, he playfully teases me about you know my witch doctors or whatever mm-hmm. that he likes to say. And mm-hmm. but we have really good deep conversation about it. And uh, I saw a movie the other night, The Man of Tai Chi, mm. and you know it was a bad guy, a good guy, yeah. you know, lots sure. of martial arts. But um, martial arts is a great example mm-hmm. of how energy has power yes, because the smallest motion in martial art has a great impact. Hmm. And I, I think that's a great, for, especially for people who are like, oh, what is this weird Where yeah. do you talk about energy mm-hmm. healing? Look to something that is clearly, you know, people are making 20 right. boards with their hand. Mm-hmm. That's a focused energy.
1: Well, if you want to look at it from more of a traditional standpoint, so Dr. Bessel van der Kolk is the father of trauma. You know he's the one that really first started to study ptsd and trauma mm-hmm. he has a book uh, out there called the body keeps score and in his book he talks a lot about how when we connect to the felt sense or the awareness of what's in our body with negative emotion um or the uh, trauma impact once we connect to that we're able to move it through better and let go of that so yoga the research on yoga Shows that Mm -hmm. yoga is better than antidepressants for helping with depression because it moves out energy. Anybody that's done yoga knows when you're done, there's such a, you've let go of so much energy that you're able to really relax and be with yourself from a different state. Mm -hmm. And I use yoga a lot. Um, My kids not so much, but I wish they'd do more. (laughs) They will someday. (laughs) But uh, a little bit, they use it.
0: I saw a panelist um, the other day on, it was a mental health panel, It's really fascinating, and uh, one of the therapists, uh, I cannot recall her last name, her first name is Vanessa. I really enjoyed her. I asked her to be on the show, in fact, so she's going to be on an upcoming episode. I'm very excited about that. But she talked about a study that was done at Duke University um, that involved uh, people with mental illness, and they gave them, there was three groups. There was the group that was on um, medicine Mm -hmm. there was a group that was on medicine and exercise uh three times a week i think she said you know the uh, 30 minute 45 minute cardio type Mm -hmm. exercise aerobic (coughs) exercise and then the third group was on the placebo medicine and the exercise Hmm. and the two groups that were on the medicine all had issues with um Re trauma, re re sinking back into depression mm-hmm. and the bipolar roller coaster of mm-hmm. emotion. The group that was on the placebo mm-hmm. that never took any medicine but ju- and maintained that exercise regimen mm-hmm. never ever had to never had the dips or any of the high lows anymore. That's that it, really The
1: exercise regulated their
0: emotions,
1: yeah, absolutely. I know a gentleman that was uh pretty sad, he lost a, someone to suicide that was very close to him. Uh, a white girlfriend I think and um, he was on like tons of medication and really struggling and you know thoughts of suicide and then he started doing yoga somebody challenged him try a yoga class and he's off of about seven hundred dollars worth of medicine a month he's um, so fit and so grounded and so healthy because he does yoga about five times a week. Which is $1,200 a month. No. Yeah. <laughs> right. No, but, I mean, you know, packages and such. Yeah, but this is in a small town. But anyway, um, true. But but he's healthy. You yeah. know? The medication was just suppressing that emotion. And so it's really, you know, medication, that's what it does. It, it gives your body the ability to cope your mind the ability to cope but it's by through suppression it's not through healing well
0: it's that same idea is so when we shove the shadow down and mm-hmm. we don't acknowledge that it exists it's still there mm-hmm. and then it, it'll rear its ugly head in in bizarre ways but mm-hmm. if you actually sit down and have coffee with your shadow and be like all right what's the deal yeah let's talk this out That's right
1: do you know uh the artist travis meadows He's uh, a country artist. Yeah. yeah. He has a song called If You Push It Down, It Comes Out Sideways, <laughs> which is such a great song. Yeah, and it's, it's a great so true. way to put it. Yeah, and yeah. it does. And, you know, I, I tell people that a lot. If you push it down, it will come out as illness, physical illness or mental illness. Yeah. And uh, it can shorten your lifespan. It can make your life miserable. So you can't push it down. It's got to come out. And that's what the Imagine Project does for kids is it helps them to put to not push it down, but instead express it, let it come up and move through it. So and
0: it also I feel likely um allows the space for to people not fearing what is going to be said. Mm-hmm. Cuz it's the other component, right? Yeah. Like if if you voice I've had that experience. I remember it was right around when Robin Williams uh killed himself. Mm-hmm. I remember being really God, I was devastated by that. Mm-hmm. Which so sad celebrity deaths don't they, they you know, they're they're a bummer mm-hmm. and all that right. stuff. But, but for his some was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think because of what he represented in the world, this light mm-hmm. even you know, we all yes. know that the people that are la- the clowns are the ones that have the most pain. Right. Um but I remember being in a really dark place in that time, not because of the Rob Williams, but in that same uh, arc of time, mm-hmm. feeling, and then that happened and I thought, oh, maybe it's not just me. Mm-hmm. Other people are going through this too. And uh, I remember telling my roommate, uh, I, sa- I voiced how I was feeling. I was like, gosh, I feel so dark. I don't feel, I'm not really feeling anything. I don't know what's going on. There's, you know, this is sort of flatlining. And I don't see what the point is. And, you know, and I'm articulating it. And all the while in my mind going, well, I know if I talk about it, I can see the other side of it. Yeah, I'm not there. Mm-hmm. And it may, may take a minute to get there. Mm-hmm. But I can talk about all these things I'm feeling mm-hmm. and know that eventually I'll get over mm-hmm. there. <clears throat> anyway, I voiced this to her and she panicked. Mm-hmm. And she called my boyfriend at the time. And my best friend, uh, and and she, you know, I'm sure she would have if she had could have figured out how to get a hold of my parents. She probably mm-hmm. would. And she was so scared with the with the information. Right. And uh, I mean, bless her heart, as they say for for that. Right. But I think that's a problem. Yeah. Because if we can't just like just say this is what I'm feeling. It is a
1: problem. Yeah. And that's why
0: you know. And they all panicked. Yeah. Everybody, you know, there was, I was like, what is going on? Why is there such...
1: <laughs> I was just saying. I was mouth. just saying. Yeah. Know? Well, I think, you know, with the Imagine Project, that's why not every teacher necessarily should do the Imagine Project with their kids if they're mm. not able to just let them speak their truth. Mm-hmm. And let them continue. I think when I go into a classroom and do it, one of the worst things teachers can do is pull the kids out if they're really upset. Because mm. I say, leave them here. Let them go let them cry a little bit they'll move through it because that's part of what they're supposed to do but if somebody panics and doesn't let the child continue to move forward and through it then they're stuck i mean there's no way to do that that and there's
0: the shame
1: around Mm -hmm. feeling like what you've said or done is somehow bad or wrong yeah imagine when that that little boy that or that young man that read that story about that i mentioned Mm -hmm. if everybody would have panicked for him that would have been a horrific mm-hmm. but instead they went wow we didn't know you were, had all these thoughts in your head let's talk about it and then he was able to sort through it better
0: yeah it's far more dangerous mm-hmm. to not speak mm-hmm. what's going on in there i i think that should be far
1: more concerning mm-hmm. for the people that don't talk about it yeah absolutely yeah. and i've gone into correctional facility correctional schools where they're you know they're they uh, ordered by the court like juvenile detention yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and schools and the, they have, I mean, stories that make you want to throw up. They're so big. And um, they can, though. They can see, wow, look at how how resilient I am. Look at what I've done. And I don't have to be that. And, and you know, share it with their cohorts. And there's videos on a, my website, by the way, of some of those kids sharing. I'd recommend that you, people want to yeah. watch the videos. They're really powerful. Yeah.
0: Um, I'll make sure that
1: link is also available. Okay. Because yeah. it's um you know, it's amazing to watch and you really see the power of it. And it also allows the tribe.
0: It mm-hmm. allows if you're watching that mm-hmm. you it gives you permission to yeah. feel and mm-hmm. to say mm-hmm. and to cry and to mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. The the humans <laughs> resilience quotient is really extraordinary. It what we is. are
1: capable of enduring is it's incredible. Phenomenal. Yeah. I don't know if anybody's watching the human uh, Humans of New York thread right now, but it's from, um, is it Uganda that had the genocide? Holy oh, That's one of the places. You, yeah, you read those stories and you're like, I cannot believe yeah. these people live through what they... And I hear I hear stories like you can't believe. Sure. And yet they're still sitting there, and they're still saying, and some people think that about me, but I don't even... My story's mild compared to some of the stories that Isn't I Isn't that hear. interesting? They're, I
0: when I talk about my history and people's like, oh, how did you, and I think, yeah. oh my God, there's way, yeah, way worse. way worse. And it's funny, even that, how we put things on a, on a scale yeah. of, of horrifying to, to, you know, just bad where every individual is also entitled to their catastrophe.
1: Yeah. There's something about the human condition. You know, when I worked in the NICU with preemies, there could be um, the sickest preemie in the unit you know where we knew as nurses that that baby was really really sick and that mom might be sitting next to the, their baby but yet they look over at another baby that might look sicker than their baby to them and they feel bad for that other baby other parents you know they they feel that maybe it's easier for them to feel that for them than it is for themselves but there's something about the human condition that helps us if there's somebody near us or that we see that's had a more difficult story than us and it helps us to get through ours Mm -hmm. so and that's what happens otherwise Instagram
0: wouldn't exist yeah exactly (laughs) or Or whatever yeah Yeah. Facebook right right yeah yeah, I mean this this, our stories our stories are are what define us
1: I suppose we learn so much from our stories
0: yeah but one of the one of the most and I and I I'm assuming that this happens with you as well is when I do this sit down with people and have conversations about their lives that every single person that sits down with me, I see me mm-hmm. in some way or another. Yes, absolutely. Even in the people I don't agree with, mm-hmm. even in people that are like, whoa, how did you become yeah. who you are? There's always a moment where mm-hmm. I go, Oh, there there I mm-hmm. am. Mm-hmm. There I am. I see, mm-hmm. I see me. I yeah.
1: see. And we're more alike than we think. I mean, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we are. Yeah. yeah. It's the beauty of our you know, I like to tell kids that my story defined me for a long time. It taught me a lot of things about myself that I didn't, um, it, more of what I didn't wanna be than, and it helped me to decide what I do wanna be. So I think there's so much about each other that we can learn in ourselves about what we want in life and what we don't want in life. Just, just you know, look around and take note of, yeah, I don't want that anymore, so what do I want instead? But you really have to think about what do you want instead? You have to think about that or else you'll stay stuck in what, what is.
0: And complacency is still fear.
1: It is. It yeah, is. And I do sure. walk into classrooms where it's really complacent, where it's, you know, and it's, that's, the, those are the hardest classrooms, I think. Yeah. Alternative schools that, you know, they've become complacent. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, there, but there's always, anything's possible. I do believe that. I mean, I have um, a daughter Who's was born at one pound, 12 ounces, who's amazing and healthy and, you know. And, and beautiful. And beautiful. And, and I survived my scenario. I think anything's possible. Yeah. So you, you can never give up on that hope.
0: Amen. Never. Amen. Theimagineproject.org. Thank you, Diane.
1: Thank you so much. It was really a pleasure. Thank you. Mine too. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Thanks, everybody.